those of you that have joined us for the first time, man, we are grateful uh, that God has brought you. You got to come back next week. Um, we're beginning a new teaching series on Romans 12. It's called Rethink. When life hasn't turned out the way you planned. And God's got a word for you if that's your story. And grab on your way out, grab these invitational cards, invite your friends, your family, your neighbors and coworkers. Pray over those people in your life that you love, that they would be here with you in church. And if they say no once, that's okay. Maybe the next time, maybe the next week, they'll say yes. You never know what God is up to in someone's life, but invite them uh, to join you here. Uh, last night, man, church was so good for me. I mean, most of the people on Saturday night go to the bar after church. But I went to the bar yesterday afternoon. Uh, my son was singing over on Turtle Lake at a bar and grill, and my Debbie and I just were thrilled uh, to be there and hear him play and sing and see people throw money at him. It made me feel so good I wanted you to throw money at me. <laughs> no, I thank God for you. Uh, everyone, I want to clarify what we're doing today and Why? Because this is the last weekend in June, and every year it's central. On the last weekend in June, we receive a generous love offering for people that are hurting in our world. And to explain what's going on today, let me show you two crime scenes. Here's the first crime scene. This is Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, uh, Texas. The major portion of our love offering this weekend will go to the families of the 19 children and two teachers um, who lost their lives in an unspeakable shooting. And this is, we don't know any of those families personally. This is just our way to help them personally experience uh, the love of Christ. So I encourage you to be as generous as, as possible in this offering. Second, here's the second crime scene. Uh, this is Haiti. And those of us who, I mean, a bunch of our families have adopted children from there. Uh, we love this island. And the, to tell you the truth, the whole island is just one big crime scene. Street violence every day, multiple kidnappings every day. And to be real, we cannot save everybody there, but we have saved one family, Walter Dorr, Dort, his wife, Sony, their two teenage girls are now staying in America or a part of this church. One of the families at our Janesville campus made a home available for them, a car available for them. And our love offering will help defray the expenses for their workers, uh, religious workers visa. And uh, we are so grateful to see what God is doing. It, our church has contributed nothing. Uh, funds have been raised on Facebook and then through love offerings to help them to keep them safe. If he were, He'd prefer with his wife to be in Haiti at their church, at their school, with their friends and family. But it would be a death sentence if he would go back. And so he serves now here at Central. Um, here's the third crime scene I want you to see. Um, this is... Golgotha. I've been there a number of times through the years with people in our church. Golgotha means place of the skull. And at this scene, Jesus was killed. Uh, this is the last weekend in our journey through Mark's gospel. We are in chapter 15. And here's how he describes Golgotha. Uh, they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. 
Three words, they brought Jesus. Three simple little words, they brought Jesus. But what a chaotic scene. They had him boxed in, Jesus. They had forced him to carry his own instrument of death. The crossbar on his shoulders would weigh over 200 pounds. We know that he fell multiple times. Many of us have walked that journey. It's the longest possible way to get through the old city of Jerusalem. They, on these narrow streets, people could reach out and slap him, spit on him, curse him, mock him. The soldiers had him boxed in. Four soldiers on either side of him. There was a fifth soldier in this execution squad who would walk ahead of them, and he would carry a placard that, that named the crime that the criminal was guilty of. And so falling and getting up and falling and getting up and finally having to have someone help him carry uh, the crossbeam, they get to Golgotha and here's what happens. They offered Jesus a painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. What? Isn't that crazy? I mean, he has already suffered. I mean, horrific suffering. His beard has been forcibly pulled out by the roots. His face has been beaten beyond recognition. A club has bludgeoned his head again and again and again. He has suffered horrific blood loss as a whip has just cut off the skin of his back, the muscle chunks of bone. He's forced to carry his own instrument of death. And what's coming is even worse. What's coming is the worst of the worst in terms of physical suffering. They offer him a painkiller and he says, no, what's up with that? I mean, these Roman soldiers, they were not being compassionate. They wanted him to be as drugged up as possible so he wouldn't fight, so he wouldn't struggle against their execution process. So why would Jesus refuse the painkiller? Friends, on the cross, he was not dying for anything he had done wrong. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He was dying on the cross, not for his sins, but for yours, for mine, for every person on the planet. Jesus died, and he would not save himself from one ounce of pain to pay the full penalty, to suffer all the consequences of our sin that we would go free and be fully forgiven. You see, Jesus sacrificed fully. So we could gain the full benefit. I don't have time. Volumes have been written on all the benefits achieved for us by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But what I can say, and explain particularly if you are newer to our church, this is why we do love offerings. This is why my Debbie and I would make a financial sacrifice to help the families of the children and the teachers that were lost in Texas to make a difference for a Haitian family here and to help keep saving their lives. Jesus fully sacrificed for us, our benefit. We want to then sacrifice for others. We are so grateful, all of us. We are so grateful, all of us. This whole church is grateful to Jesus for what he's done for us, so we want to do for others. <clears throat> he says no to the painkiller. That didn't stop the process. They can't, they're like, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. And here's a simple sentence that describes what happens next. The soldiers nailed him to the cross. Now, this is so insane. Um, he is, this is the only absolutely innocent person who has ever lived. Never done anything. Never said anything. Never thought anything wrong. Knew no sin, did no sin. And yet a crude spike is being driven 
through the arches of his feet. He is held spread eagle on the cross and spikes are driven into his wrists, into the blood-stained timber. He is suffering execution. Um, And as bad as the physical anguish was, uh, mentally, it was so exacting and exhausting because they would leave no stone unturned in their efforts to absolutely humiliate Jesus. On the cross, he is completely, I mean, his mom is there, other women are there, a teenage boy is there, and they watch as he is stripped naked. Here's what the text says. The soldiers divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. Deb and I had to hustle yesterday afternoon to drive from our home, hit a 50th wedding anniversary on the way, get to the other side of Delavan to hear our son sing and, and play. And, you know, it was our love for him that drove, hustle back, get here in time for church. But can, can you imagine if that was your child that they had stripped naked and now they're playing a game of dice for his tore up clothing? What do you think Mary felt? What do you think Mary did? I mean, would you beg? That's my son's. Could I have, please, please just let me have one piece to have. But there's Jesus, stripped naked on the cross. His body lost control of all physical function. I mean, people covered their mouths, covered their noses, wanted to turn away. In front of his mom, the women that were there with her, a teenage young man, uh, Jesus completely humiliated publicly. Um, That goes on. For three hours, nine o'clock in the morning, the, the first spike is driven into his feet, into his wrist. After three hours, this is so stinking unfair, so ugly, so unjust, so wrong, 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 that the universe itself just stops working. If this is what you do to our creator, we're not going, we're, go, we're doing nothing now. Here's what happens at noon, three hours of this garbage. It was now about noon when the sun stopped shining, and darkness covered the whole country until three o'clock in the afternoon. Can you imagine the angels in heaven? They didn't see this coming. This is not what they anticipated. God the Father had not let them in on the suffering of Jesus. They loved Jesus. They worshiped Jesus. They had been servants to Jesus for ages and ages and ages and ages. They see him go to earth through human birth. They see him live a sinless life. They witness the lessons. They see them. Yeah, that's Jesus. That's our Jesus. That's the son of God. Look what he's doing. And then they watch him suffer. All of heaven weeps over this moment. And the universe stops. The sun stops shining. Now, this is Mark that I've led you through. In Luke, he says, right before the sun stops shining, right before the universe shuts down, There's a three-way compelling conversation. 
Here's how Luke describes the talk between Jesus and two other men. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. They crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. And while you're at it, save us. But, but the other criminal rebuked the first one. Hey, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence of death? I mean, we're punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then somehow he turns his head and says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, the design of crucifixion was hideous. The, the, the idea was to make death as slow and as painfully unbearable as possible. But the the victims of crucifixion did not die from the wounds or the loss of blood. They died from horrific suffocation. You see in order what happened, they drove the spike through the arches of the feet, but they allowed enough flex in the legs that they could push up. (laughs) Who would want to push up on a crude spike driven through your own feet? They nailed the wrist Uh, to the cross, but they allowed enough slack in the arms that the victim could push against the nail and pull himself up. Who would want to push and pull against a nail through a ruined wrist? That's what you had to do to breathe. In order to, to inhale, to take in a breath, the victim had to sag all of his weight down on the spike going through the arches of his feet. Sag down, all the way down. And then pull himself up, push himself up, lift himself up to exhale. Now the first thief, he only speaks eight words, but it had to be a brutal exercise as he would allow all his weight to sag down on that spike in his his feet, capture as much breath as he could, pull himself up. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. And And if he wants to keep breathing, back down. What's amazing, what's absolutely mind-blowing is that the second thief, he had to go through the same up and down process. He speaks 39 words. First guy, eight. I was able to read that eight-sentence, three-way conversation in less than a minute. But for Jesus and the criminals, it must have felt like an eternity. But the second thief, it's like he, he, it's like he won't stop his tortured talk until he has confessed his sins and made a desperate plea for Jesus to be his Savior. Remember me. 39 words. I think it's a miracle. I think somehow God gives this man strength beyond himself to keep pulling and pushing to speak his sins to Jesus. I, I think somehow he, God helps, helps him endure the pain long enough that, that he could finally get out the last breath. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The biggest deal, you, you, you can't get 
what, what's going to happen, how Jesus is going to answer with an unbreakable promise this thief's plea, unless you focus in on the fact that he confessed his sins. D- did you catch it? L- look at this. We deserve to die for our evil deeds. He, he's not just speaking for himself and the other thief. He's speaking For me, I deserve to die for the things I've done, the sins I've committed. You deserve to die. Maybe you want to argue with me on that one. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. We all, if we get what we deserve, ah, here's the wild thing. Jesus got what we deserved. He got the death we deserve and we get the life we don't deserve. The superabundant life in him. The thief confessed his sins. And so Jesus, I mean, this is a powerful moment. The young man at the foot of the cross, the teenager, probably 18 or 19 years old, he was actually Jesus' best friend. His name was John. He heard the conversation, and this is what he learned from that conversation. He writes in his first letter, 1 John, if we confess our sins to Jesus, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us of every wrong, all guilt and shame. Christ died to wash away our sins. You get, a, you get a clean slate. You get a fresh tomorrow. When you confess your sins to Jesus, you are made new. You become a new creation. The old, the garbage, it's gone. Your past is put behind you, every bit of it. And, and you are made a new creation. You are, everything is new. You are more like Jesus. There is more of Jesus in you when you empty yourself through confession of your sins. Now, this guy, he was this thief, he was a bad sinner. He says to Jesus, uh, remember me. What's Jesus supposed to remember? That he's a thief? I mean, it's in the top 10, right? Thou shalt not steal. Top 10, 10 commandments. And the Bible says if you, if you break one commandment, you've bro- broken them all. This is a bad, bad sinner. But he has the good sense to confess his sins. Here's what I want you to go home with. Here's what I want you to know. When bad sinners... This guy was a bad, bad sinner like me. He was a bad, bad sinner like you. But when bad sinners make a good confession, they find full forgiveness. The slate is wiped clean. And so when he says, Jesus, remember me, the word remember means that the one you're talking to will take positive action in your behalf. Remember how desperate I am. Remember what I need from you. I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven. Um, I've been practicing that this week, kind of a breath prayer. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. And it, it served me well this week. That Jesus would remember my desperate need for him. Remember my need for forgiveness. And I thought it would serve you well. I've, in fact, I'd love for you to just go home today and throughout the course of the afternoon, maybe you're on a walk and just whisper out, Jesus, remember me. Or for sure, when your head hits the pillow tonight, the lights are off, you just look up into the darkness and you just cry out, Jesus, remember me. I thought it would be good for all of us to practice right now. And so I'll say it and you can say it after me. And this is not like one of those pep rally moments here. This is, this is a prayer. And so I'm going to close my eyes because I'm weird. But um, 
You do whatever you feel, but I'm going to say that phrase and then you just say it after me. You don't say it to me. You don't say it just to say the word. We're each talking to Jesus right now. Are you ready? I'll say it. You say it after me. Jesus, remember me. Even those of you at home watching online, here we go again together. Jesus, remember me. One final time together as a church. Jesus, remember me. Because when he remembers, when he remembers just you, he takes positive action in your behalf. Yeah, he wipes the slate clean. Yeah, he forgives you of your sin. But in addition to that, he works everything together for your good. In fact, here's the unbreakable, unshakable promise that Jesus has for those he remembers. Here's what he says. I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. Conversation is over. The promise is made. Darkness falls on the earth. And those three dangle helplessly between heaven and earth. Within a matter of hours, by three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus is dead. Sometime after that, the, the Roman soldiers break the legs of both thieves so they can no longer push him. So they, they, they just lose their breath. They suffocate, they, they die. But can you imagine that second thief? Can you imagine that second thief? The instant his eyes close in death, they instantaneously open in the presence of Jesus and the glory and the beauty and the unspeakable joy of paradise with Jesus. The promise is kept. And so when we pray, Jesus, remember me, he promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will take you to be with me. I am going to my father's house and I'm preparing a place for you. And I will come back to get you to be with me where I am. You see on that cross at that ancient crime scene, Jesus turned a crime scene into a Christ scene. Yesterday morning, I was thinking about my message and I'd done all the research and I'd written it out in full and um, I just asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I sensed the Lord say to me, preach it. And don't forget the empty tomb. For all that suffering I described was very real and horrific, but, and it killed Jesus. He died of suffocation. But three days later on Easter Sunday, God raised Jesus from the dead, victorious. And now all of us, plain old ordinary Joes like us, angels, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, crucified for our sins and risen from the dead, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your lips that he is Lord, you will be saved. Yeah. So, you know, what's the big deal about saved? What's the big deal about saved? Well, that means we get to live right now in the incomparably great power by which Jesus was raised from the dead. That power is in me. I get to do my marriage in the incomparably great power. I get to do my money, my emotions in the incomparably great power by which Jesus was raised from the dead. We get to live the superabundant life of Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. And it never, 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 never ends. One day, this frail body will be gone. 
but I will be with the Lord forever in glory, getting to do what I love most, going to bars on Saturday afternoons. I had a Diet Pepsi. Um, I get to do what I love most with those I love best forever, all in the presence of Jesus. And so do you, to give your life to him. Confess your sins. Name him as Lord. He makes the crime scene of my life a Christ scene. You see, at a crime scene, everybody, all they talk about is the crime. But at a Christ scene, all they talk about is Christ. At a crime scene, they're just looking for evidence about the crime. But at a Christ scene, people look for evidence about Jesus. So this is why we give a love offering to families that are hurting. It was just a month ago that it happened. They're still wrecked. We don't know them personally, but we want them to personally experience. Here's what we want. We want that crime scene to become a Christ scene where everybody's talking about Jesus. In Haiti, it's horrific, but we want the island of Haiti to be the place on the planet where everybody's talking about Jesus. In Uvalde, Texas, we want all those people looking for evidence that Jesus is God who came to earth, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the dead, now reigns on high at the right hand of God. He's coming again. We gotta be ready. So I'm going to pray uh, right now. Uh, I'd like to ask that you bow with me and then our servers will come and uh, we'll receive what is the beginning um, of this love offering. And and I know that the nature of our church is it will go on for a couple of weeks yet because not everybody comes prepared to give. And so they go home and write a check or um, give online and But let's pray about it right now. Let's start with prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we do thank you for our Lord Jesus who died in our place as our substitute for our sin and you raised him from the dead. He is the heartbeat of this church. And Lord, maybe there have been times in the past when I would pray about you blessing the people that gave and you blessing the gift, but I just want to pray for those families in Uvalde. I mean, I've got grandchildren the age of the children that perished. I, I know people who make their living in education and I, I just want you to bless them, Lord. We do want you to make that place a Christ scene through our sacrifice. We pray for Haiti, Lord. Only you, not the UN, not the President of the United States, only the Lord Jesus Christ can, can throw the light of his love on that dark place. please. Please, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwired.com and have a great week.